This podcast is presented to you by High Desert Word Center in Barstow, California. For more information, visit hdwc.org. Amen. Well, tonight, we're going to actually, I'm going to be continuing a Sunday morning series that I've been on uh, because it's, it's, hey, it's good stuff, man. We're going to be talking tonight about the fear of the Lord, part five. We're going to bring this into Sunday nights here. And for your uh, viewing pleasure, I've put a very beautiful Christmas picture that I found. Isn't that, isn't that pretty? Doesn't that give you the Christmas spirit right there? Come on. Look at that. That could be you if you didn't live in Barstow. All right. So let's go ahead and we're going to, um, we're going to talk about the fear of the Lord part five. And just to kind of review a little bit, uh, the fear of the Lord, we've learned what that is over several lessons here. But one thing that the fear of the Lord is not, it is not being scared of God. And you're like, well, what's fear mean? Well, this word fear, a lot of you have heard this, but I'm just reviewing for those that haven't. So the fear of the Lord comes from a Hebrew word, yira, which means reverence, respect, and submission. And so when you're that close to God, when you love him that much, yes, you fear him, but it's not because you're scared of him. I'm not scared of God. I've got nothing to be scared of because God is for me, not against me. Amen. Now, the, the scripture does tell us that there are enemies of God and then that, yes, they would be scared or afraid of God. But that's not you. You're a child of God. You're a son. You're a daughter. You're not afraid of the father, but you respect him and reverence him so much that you let him be your Lord. You, you let him call the shots in your life. You say, not my will be done, but your will be done, Jesus. Whatever it is you want me to do, I'll do it. When you fear the Lord, you love what he loves. You hate what he hates. You submit your life to him. And so with all that in mind, let's get in a little bit uh, to a few things I want to study here tonight regarding the benefits of fearing the Lord. We've, we've spent four weeks laying the groundwork for what the fear of the Lord is, and we realize that we don't serve God just because He'll do good things for us, do we? He does. He does. He does. There are, bit of, there are blessings, but I don't just love Him because of what He can do for me. That's like marrying for money. That's not right. <laughs> you, love, you marry because you love them, not because they're rich. And so anyway, but, but that is a benefit, is that, that God, not only do we love Him and He loves us, but praise God, there are benefits and there are promises that he has made to those who fear the Lord. Now, there are a lot of these, and I've spent many years going through Scripture personally for my own private life and study, uh, highlighting benefits of fearing the Lord. There are dozens, and I don't think I could ever share all of them uh, in, in just a couple of sermons. But tonight I'm going to talk about three benefits of fearing the Lord that I want you to get a hold of. And uh, and so just give us your attention here for a few minutes. And I believe that God's going to speak to you. And listen, if you're someone that your life submitted to God, this is going to excite you. This is good stuff. These are promises from God's word to those who submit and fear the Lord and give their lives to him. Amen. And so this is for you. So let's go ahead and uh, we're going to get into this tonight, but we're going to get three benefits and probably over the next few weeks. We'll look at some more. I want to say quick minor announcement. The next two Sunday nights, we won't have service because next week on Sunday morning is the Christmas party. And then the week after that is right there at Christmas time. And we have the candlelight service on that Monday night. So that's just a quick little announcement. The next two Sunday nights, there won't be service. But on the 30th, I think it is the last Sunday night of the year, we will have a service. So anyway, just 
Mark that down. And then getting into January, we'll have our normal schedule Sunday nights every week. Amen. And so three benefits to fearing the Lord. The first one I'm going to say is this. Number one is knowledge. 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 Okay. And so this is a benefit. This is a promise to those who fear the Lord. They're like, well, that doesn't sound so exciting. You don't think that's exciting? Come on. Let's look at Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 7. Proverbs 1 and verse 7. Because it's nice to be knowledgeable about whatever it is that God's called you to do in life. And knowledge is a good thing. Knowledge is a great thing. Because there are plenty of people who don't have knowledge. You ever met one of them? I've seen a couple of them wandering around here. There's, there's a couple. <laughs> but we're talking about knowledge. Proverbs 1 and verse 7. And this is, I'm going to read this one in the New King James. Proverbs chapter 1. And write these verses down, man. This is... This is some good, powerful stuff for you tonight, man. This is a good, good word that you're going to hear. This is, this is promises from God's word. So the first thing we're talking about is knowledge. Proverbs 1, 7, it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. And so right here, the fear of the Lord, it's, it's the beginning of knowledge. Now, that's a powerful thing. And I'm telling you, whenever you fear God, whenever you submit your life to God, that's the very beginning of knowledge. And so what is knowledge? Well, the knowledge defined, a very basic definition is retained information. Retained information. Now, isn't it nice when you have the ability to retain information that you need to know? I mean, let's, let's, we're being very practical here. I'm not being too deep here, but isn't it nice when at your job you retain the information that they're trying to get everybody to know and everyone else doesn't remember it, but the guy that fears the Lord actually knows what's going on? That's a pretty good deal. And you're like, well, that, listen to me. This is basic, but this is good. It's good to have basic knowledge and have this ability from the Lord. And so I'm going to talk about Daniel for a little bit. I want you to flip over to Daniel chapter 1. And as we're going there, let me catch you up on this story. So in the book of Daniel, Israel had been taken captive by the Babylonians. And now there was four young men that were sent to train and work in the palace. There was Daniel, okay, then his three buddies, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they had other names uh, that I'm getting ready to read in a minute. Very, very weird names. But anyway, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And, and so these guys, Israel had been taken captive, and they selected these four to actually serve in the palace of the king because they saw, man, there's something different about these guys. There, there's some potential here. These boys, they've got it together. These are some bright young men. And so they didn't just have them out there sweeping the streets or whatever. They brought these four directly in to the king's palace. And they're like, man, we need you to work on science. We need you to work on, you know, we need, we need to use these kids' knowledge. So look at this. They bring them in there and, and, and they want, I mean, they want these guys to be in tip-top shape. They want them to eat a very, you know, the diet that the king sets aside and all this stuff. But look at this. Daniel and the boys... They had the fear of the Lord. That's what set them apart. Daniel chapter 1 and verse 8. It says, But Daniel was determined not to defile himself by eating the food and wine given to them by the king. He asked the chief of staff for permission not to eat these unacceptable foods. And so 
here they are living in the palace, and I'm sure this is the best food in all of all of the kingdom, right? I mean, they they may have you know shrimp and lot whatever it is. I mean, stuff that we would think is pretty good stuff, lobster and all this. But according to his Jewish beliefs, right, this wasn't kosher food. And the king said, no, I want you boys to eat this. This is what I've set aside for you. And Daniel said, well, hey, I'm not going to eat it. That goes against what I believe in. The Lord doesn't want me to eat that stuff. And so he stands up for what he believes in. And he asks the chief of staff, like, hey, can we just, I, I, I want to, I'll give you guys my best. I'll, I'll, I'll work hard, but I cannot do that. And so because he fears God more than he fears the king, he says, I'm not going to do it. Now, somebody that fears the king more than fears God, they say, well, I don't believe in that, but I don't want to get in trouble. I'll, I'll eat it, but I don't want to. Come on, right? How many of us, the government would say, you have to do this. But it goes against what you believe in. It goes against what the Bible says. And so you would say, well, I sure don't want to get in trouble with them. I, I'll do it, but I don't want to do it. That's because you fear the king more than you fear God. You fear the, you know, the powers that be. Now, I'm, I'm a submissive guy. I'm obedient and I do my best to obey, but I obey God before I obey the king, right? I obey God before I obey any of these laws and I'll do my best. But if God says no, then I'm not going to do it. And that's the situation that Daniel and these three boys were in. And they said, we're, we'll, we'll, we'll work for you, but we can't eat that. That goes against our beliefs. And so look down here. They, they, they get permission. Okay, you guys, you guys eat what you feel is right. But look down here at verses 17 through 20. Because do you believe that if you stand up for the ways of God that you're gonna, that, that God's not gonna have your back? God's gonna have your back. Look at Daniel chapter 1, verses 17 through 20. It said, God gave these four young men an unusual aptitude for understanding every aspect of literature and wisdom. And God gave Daniel the special ability to interpret the meanings of visions and dreams. And so, breaking it down, God gave them a very unusual ability to retain knowledge and information. But, but, but look here, verse 18. When the training period ordered by the king was completed, the chief of staff brought all the young men to King Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them. And no one impressed him as much as Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. That's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So they entered the royal service. So out of all of the people that were serving in the palace, nobody was as impressive as these four boys. Verse 20, whenever the king consulted them in any matter requiring wisdom and balanced judgment, he found them ten times more capable than any of the magicians and enchanters in his entire kingdom look at that these four guys that feared the lord and stood up for what they believed in the king found them they were 10 times i'd like to be just twice as smart as somebody i'd like to be i'd settle for three times but these guys were 10 times smarter and more capable than any of their peers or contemporaries and think about it they were at a disadvantage they weren't even from this place this wasn't even their native language. But here they are in a foreign land, in a foreign language, foreign customs, and foreign people. And yet they picked up everything ten times better than the people that were actually from there. Why is that? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Isn't that incredible? And, and so these guys, who, who they, they should have been at the disadvantage... 
they were not because they feared the Lord. And when you fear God, you may do things that the rest of society doesn't agree with or support you on. But God will reward you for it in the end. Amen. And you know that later on, these guys refused to bow down to a golden statue. They were thrown into a fiery furnace. But amen, the angel of the Lord, Jesus himself was actually in there with them and brought them out of that fiery furnace. Why is that? Does that type of you're like, well, I don't see that type of stuff that happens to people that fear the Lord. Come on. We're not talking about part timers, half bakes. We're talking about people that are submitted to God. When you fear the Lord, you can absolutely expect this type of stuff to happen to you. And so you may do things that everyone else is like, making it. why would you do that? You're, you're, you're crazy. Well, you fear the Lord. And I, I can guarantee you that if you went out and told your unsaved friends and co-workers that you give 10% of your income to God, they think you're a nut. They think you are off your rocker. Like, you give out to a church? I don't give it to a church. Give it to God. Give it out to some pre- No, I, I, I'm giving it to Jesus. I'm giving it to God, man. Well, why would you do that? Well, there are benefits, but that's, I do it because his word says to, and I'm submitted to him. I do what his word says to do. His word says to bring a tithe into the storehouse, into the church. So I do it. We think you're crazy. I think you're crazy. I think you're a nut. Living out there and not submitted to God? You're crazy, man. To live in 2018 without the protection of God on your life? You're nuts. You're cray cray, man. You're, you're off your rocker, dude. So listen to me. The fear of the Lord, may, you'll do things that don't make sense to anybody else. But believe me, when the flood comes, they're going to wish they were on that boat with you. Amen? And so the fear of the Lord, it's absolutely the beginning of knowledge. Now, have you ever known somebody that God has gifted with knowledge in a particular area? I mean, I know some people, and it's not, it's not that they were just born with just well, they're just born with this knowledge that was above everybody else's and their whatever their given field is. But they've submitted themselves to the Lord and the Lord has made them succeed in ways that 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 everybody else around them is not succeeding in. They understand things. You know, I've, I've seen students here at church and in youth group and and, and at school that when they when they submit themselves to the Lord, their grades just start shooting up. They're great. And like, well, how's that? Well, they fear God and, and, and the Lord promised knowledge to those who fear him, those who submit to him. That's a good thing to have in your life. It is very, very nice to have knowledge. I know people here at, at, at church that, that they get promotions that they aren't eligible for, that they don't deserve, that they're not, they're not qualified for. Why? The fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord. They've got knowledge in areas that they don't never had an education in, but the Lord sees to it that they always rise to the top. They're like the cream in your coffee, man. You pour it in, it rises to the top every time. Come on. That, that's how they are. And why is that? Because they fear the Lord and the Lord promised, hey, you fear me, that's just the beginning of knowledge. I'll give you knowledge. I will give you understanding. And I'm telling you right now that you need knowledge in your life. Knowledge is beautiful. But the second thing I'm going to talk about is even greater than knowledge. The second thing is this, is wisdom. Those are the same thing. No, they're not. Wisdom and knowledge are not the same thing. 
Now, people get these confused. You'll see somebody that may be really intelligent. They get good grades. They have a doctorate. They, you know, they're very educated. Now, he's wise. He's got a Ph.D. He may be knowledgeable and intelligent, but he may be a fool. Because knowledge is just simply the ability to retain information. But wisdom's a whole other thing. Look at Proverbs 9 and verse 10. Proverbs 9 and verse 10. I want knowledge for sure, but I want wisdom too. And, and I, I, I want wisdom more than anything. Proverbs 9 and verse 10. Very similar to the verse we just read in Proverbs a minute ago about knowledge. But Proverbs 9 and verse 10, it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. I thought it was the beginning of knowledge. It is. It's also the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. So there is a difference between knowledge and wisdom. Again, knowledge is being intelligent, the ability to retain information. But wisdom is the ability to make right decisions and choices in life. And know what you ought to do in any given situation. Because there's a whole lot of genius people, but they don't know how to raise kids. That takes wisdom. Now, the knowledge is good. That helps. But you need the wisdom of God because there's just some things that you're not going to find in a textbook. There's a lot of people, man, they may, they may know how to launch a rocket, but they don't know how to hold a marriage together. Come on. That takes wisdom. There's a lot of people that they may know how to, you know, how to, how to scientifically just absolutely do incredible things, but they just don't know how to live a consistent life and, 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 and stand for Jesus. They don't know how. They can't do it. Why? Because there's some things that take knowledge, but you have to have wisdom in your life. And I'll say this. There's a lot of smart people who are not wise. There's a lot of smart people in this world who are not wise people. They may know how to do some things, but they don't know how to make right choices and decisions because they don't have wisdom. And so you may have knowledge about science or whatever, but that's not going to show you which job to take. That takes wisdom. There's a big difference. And so I want to talk about King Solomon for a few minutes. Remember Solomon? We've discussed this. He wrote the book of Ecclesiastes. He sets out to find the meaning of life. Solomon was super rich and had a lot of power. And he's like, I just I want to know what the true meaning of life is. And so in Ecclesiastes, he sets out and he's like, I'm going to try different things. And so he gets as much money as he can. And he decides, well, money's nice, but it's not the meaning of life. I still feel empty. I'll find, you know, maybe the answer is romance and love. And so uh, Solomon, he got around. He had a couple thousand wives. <laughs> I don't recommend that. That's <laughs> pretty wild but anyway he decides well romance that's not the meaning of life and so he, he well maybe just having a good time is and so he tries pleasure and fun and he says well that's not that i still feel empty and so at the very end of the book of ecclesiastes he says here's my final conclusion fear god and honor him and obey his commands that's the meaning of life that's the meaning of everything but with all that said solomon was the son of a very, very famous king and a man that Israel loves to this day, King David. 
That was Solomon's dad. And so when his dad passed on, it was time for Solomon to take over the kingdom. And so I want you to flip to 1 Kings chapter 3, and I'm going to show you something very interesting about Solomon. Solomon obviously made some mistakes in his life, but he also did a lot of really great things for God. And he started out, I mean, just really, really good. But 1 Kings chapter 3, and we're going to look here at verse 5. And so this is obviously, I mean, if you're going to take over for David, you've got some pretty big shoes to fill. This is a very successful king. Very successful. He killed the giant, obviously, before he was even the king, when he was just a teenage boy. But then he goes on and, and he establishes Jerusalem as the capital city. He does all sorts of great things. And he defeats and conquers. And, and I mean, David was absolutely a very, 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 very successful man. And so you've got to follow that up. You're taking over for David. That's a hard thing to do. And so First Kings chapter 3, and let's look here at verse 5. It says, that night, so one of his first nights here taking over, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream, and God said, what do you want? Ask, and I will give it to you. Whoa, that's a big deal. God says, all right, you're taking over now. What is it that you want? You just ask for whatever you want, and I'm going to give it to you. Well, that could go a whole lot of directions right there. I mean, <laughs> anything, and you'll give it to me? Some of us are treat that like the genie in the bottle. Okay, I get three wishes. What are they going to be? I want money. And, but no, no. Uh, the, the Lord appears to him. But look what Solomon actually asked for in verse 9. Skip down to verse 9. Here's what Solomon asked for. He says, give me an understanding heart so that I can govern your people well and know the difference between right and wrong. For who by himself is able to govern this great people of yours? And the Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for what? Wisdom. Solomon asked for wisdom. Think about that. He could have asked for anything he wanted. And God said, I'll give it to you. He could have said, I want a billion dollars. That's what I want. I want power. I want people to bow down and submit. I want, you know, he could have asked for literally anything. And he says, Lord, give me an understanding heart. I need to know the difference between right and wrong. And that's something that wisdom will do for you. Now, we've got knowledge of basic laws and basic things, but sometimes you don't know really right and wrong. Wisdom tells you the difference. And so the Lord was pleased that Solomon asked for wisdom. How many of us would have asked for that? If God showed up and said, hey, Anything you want right now. Anything. What do you want? I wonder how many people would say, Lord, give me an understanding heart. I want wisdom. Or how many of us would say, squash my enemies, Lord. Or, you know, billion, Lord, that's B-I-L-L-I-O-N. I don't care who writes the check. You just get it to me. Come on. What would we ask for? But Solomon right here, he asked for wisdom. And that's an absolutely wonderful thing to ask for. And that really pleased the Lord. And so let's look at verses 11 through 14. Verses 11 through 14. So God replied, because you have asked for wisdom in governing my people with justice and have not asked for a long life 
or wealth or the death of your enemies. That was actually on the table. That was an option. You could have asked for the death of your enemies. But he didn't ask for that. He asked for wisdom. And so God says, because you didn't ask for that, I will give you what you asked for. I will give you a wise and understanding heart such as no one else has had or ever will have. And it's gone down in the Bible that Solomon is the wisest person of all time. And you can go down and, and look at some of the decisions he made, and it's absolutely incredible. You know, we bring in, a, a, it's in the next chapter or so, but someone, these two ladies get into a fight. Uh, they, they're fighting over, there's, there's one baby and two ladies, and they say, they're each saying, this is my baby. And so, so they bring him into the king. They say, you've got to settle this. Decide who the baby belongs to. And so he called Maury, and Maury said, you are not the, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> you are not the mother. No, it's a joke. But, but what happened was Solomon, he comes up there, and he says, okay, I know what I'll do. He says, the only fair way to do this is bring me a sword, and we'll cut the baby in half and give one it. And then the real mom says, no, 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 give it to her. That's fine. She can have it. Just don't do that. And Solomon says, now I know who the real mom is, because the real mom would never want something like that. He hands the baby to the real mom. Wisdom. I never would have thought of that. That wouldn't have been on the table for me. That wouldn't have even crossed my mind. But that's wisdom. And so look here at verse 13. God says, I'm going to make you wiser than anybody has ever been or ever will be. But then verse 13, and as a bonus, I will also give you what you did not ask for, riches and fame. No other king in all the world will be compared to you for the rest of your life. And if you follow me and obey my decrees and my commands as your father David did, I will give you a long life. So God said, because you didn't ask for all that stuff, but you have a right heart, I'm just going to give it to you anyway. And, they, and excuse me, Solomon was possibly the richest person in the history of the world. If you look at a list of the richest people ever, Solomon, depending on you know whose list you're looking at, Solomon's at the very top. We're talking about in the trillions in modern currency trillions he was super super rich but that's not what he was going for he was just going for the heart of god he's like i just want to please you lord i just want wisdom i just want to do what you want me to do i just want to make right choices and god said okay done but on top of that because that's not what you're seeking after i'm going to go ahead and give that to you anyway like that's 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 incredible that the lord would do something like this for him so solomon feared the lord he had knowledge and he had wisdom now most of the fear of the lord verses a lot of them most of them are found in psalms and proverbs they're all throughout the rest of the old testament and even into the new testament verses that specifically say fear of the lord now isn't it it's kind of isn't it kind of interesting that david wrote most of the psalms and he talked about fear of the lord fear of the lord fear of the lord and then the next closest person that wrote the next most about the fear of the lord is his son. Don't you think that his dad was teaching him the fear of the Lord when he was growing up? I mean, if there's one thing I want to teach my kids, it's how to fear God. That's a, that's a beautiful example. David, I'm sure, made mistakes and wasn't a perfect father, but I, I can imagine him talking to that young Solomon and saying, listen to me, you, we don't do that. We fear the Lord. That's not how we live. And I'll bet that he planted these seeds in his son's heart, and then when his son got old, and God said he can have anything he want, he asked for wisdom because his dad didn't say, you listen to me. You, when you, you make as much money as you can possibly make, 
when you get older. I don't care if you've got to step on people, pull them off the ladder and climb up yourself. You make money, work as hard as you can, get more than anybody else before they get it before you do. I know some dads that say stupid things like that, and then their kids end up a mess. But that's not what Solomon was taught. He was taught, you know what, we're going to fear the Lord. One incredible story that I think of, I think it's in 2 Samuel, maybe it's 1 Samuel. Anyway, I should have written it down. But So David, he gets moved into his new palace in Jerusalem. They build a palace for the king. And David goes to bed that night and looks out his window, and there's the Ark of the Covenant outside in the courtyard and david says oh my gosh i've built a billion dollar palace for myself and there's the ark of the covenant outside in the yard oh dear lord oh and 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 he realized oh my gosh i've got god sleep out there in a box and i'm in a palace and david that's when he's like no we're going to build god the biggest and best temple we could ever build now, David ultimately didn't get to build that temple, but Solomon did. And if you read in, in Kings that how they decorate, I, I actually calculated it up one time. I did this like a year ago, and I forget the cost. Of, the temple itself, though, would have been in the trillions of how much it would, it would cost. In modern, why, well, why would you do something like that? God deserves the best, man. I don't feel bad that we put new carpet in a new, you know, we've done a lot of work to this building over the last couple of years, haven't we? Hundreds of thousands of dollars, honestly, and I don't feel bad about it. I know God doesn't live in this side of these four. Well, he lives in us. But at the same time, if I'm going to come in and worship, I don't feel bad with having a nice building, a nice property. God deserves the best. I don't feel bad about that one bit. I don't feel bad at all about that. And David said, no, 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 no. only the best will do for a temple for the Lord. And so he passed that on to Solomon. And Solomon, I mean, it is incredible the amount that they did to that temple. It is absolutely incredible. But it's because they feared the Lord. And the fear of the Lord, it's the beginning of knowledge. It's also the beginning of wisdom. And God will give you these things if you fear him. An example that I think of, and uh, and I've, I've kind of studied this a little bit and read about it. I think a great example of some guys that feared the Lord was the Wright brothers. Who are they? They invented flight, man. You know who the Wright brothers are. Orville and Wilbur. Yeah. <laughs> so the Wright brothers, they were devout Christians. And they, they feared God. And they took the Lord very seriously. In fact, Wilbur was going to attend Yale College and become a pastor like his dad was. But he was playing ice hockey and got his front teeth knocked out. So he decided he shouldn't preach. But anyway, true story. So praise God. If your name's Wilbur and your teeth are knocked out, maybe you're not cut out for being a pastor. But... At the same time, there's other things you could do. And so the Wright brothers, they refused to work on Sundays. They may, they may study and, and, and work on their, on their idea and invention six days out of the week. But on Sundays, they laid it to rest. They wouldn't work on their, their new idea on Sundays. One thing they did is they studied birds. Because they're like, well, God made them fly, so they must know something about... So they studied birds. And anyway, they, they submitted ideas to different engineering people and come, and everybody was like, give it up. You guys are nuts. It's never going to happen. This is a fantasy. Give it up. But they wouldn't give it up. They kept pushing after this. Like, no, it's possible. We know this can happen. And so everybody took... They made fun of them. They were a couple of jokes. They were the laughing stock. But sure enough... They prayed, they sought God and his wisdom and his knowledge and understanding. And sure enough, they made it happen. December 17th, 1903. 
That means next Monday it'll be 115 years that we've had flight. Come on. That's pretty. Yeah. Who appreciates the gift of flight? Yes. It's a good gift. But how did this happen? Well, these guys feared the Lord. And, and, and they did things. Everybody, you guys are crazy. You're wasting your time. They said, no, we're not. It's possible. We just got to find the right way. And they sought God and God gave them the knowledge on how to do it. Maybe you've got some brilliant idea. You just don't know how to get it taken off the ground. Ask God. God knows. He knows things that you don't know. He's got knowledge that he could give to you, that he wants to give to you. He's got wisdom to give to you. But it all depends on if you're going to submit to him and fear him and lay down your life to him. But these are promises from God's word. It's not selfish to say, I expect God to give me. No, I expect to do better than everybody. That's not that's not selfish. If you fear the Lord, that's coming to you. You have that coming to you. And so the third thing we're going to talk about tonight is this. Three benefits. And keep in mind, there's dozens of these that I've paid attention to. And I'm, I'm, I'm probably going to cover some over the next season. But the third one is this. Long life. The fear of the Lord will bring long life to you. It'll give you knowledge. It's the beginning of knowledge. It'll give you wisdom. It's the beginning of wisdom. And also, the fear of the Lord leads to long life. I want to look at Proverbs chapter 10. Proverbs chapter 10. Man, has anybody learned anything tonight? Proverbs chapter 10. These are some more Proverbs of Solomon right here. Solomon wrote this. Proverbs chapter 10. We're going to look at verse 27. But I'm telling you, man, this this isn't that deep. This isn't that heavy of a revelation. But when we really submit to God, I've talked to so many people that have maybe been Christians per se for years. Or maybe they've been in church for years. But they finally get to a place where they really do. Submit to Jesus. And when they do, I've had so many people say, oh my gosh, why didn't I do this sooner? My life is so much better now that I just gave him the reins. I just got in the passenger seat and gave him the steering wheel. And I'm it's getting so much better. And I don't, why is that? Why is it that we're just afraid to give Jesus the wheel? Jesus, take the wheel, man. I don't know. Come on. Listen, I would rather, I would rather him be calling the shots. But Proverbs 10 And verse 27, it says, fear of the Lord. Say it with me. Fear of the Lord lengthens one's life. But the years of the wicked are cut short. The fear of the Lord will literally lengthen your life. It will lengthen your life. You'll live longer if you're somebody that fears the Lord. And by long life, we don't just mean existing on planet Earth for a long time. Because I'm not interested in that. I don't want to live to be 100 years old if it's miserable and I'm sick and I'm depressed and I'm grouchy and mean. Please, I don't want that. I'd rather just go. I don't want to live 100 miserable years. That may sound bad to you, but that's not what this is talking about. When the Lord talks about long life, he's talking about abundant life. He's talking about joyful life, peaceful life, provided for healthy life. With the joy of the Lord. And so, it's not just talking about existing for a long time on planet Earth. That's not long, satisfying life. 
Then that's not what the fear of the Lord leads to. And, you know, John 10.10, most of you in this room know that, but it tells us that the thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy, Jesus said. But I have come that they may have life and life more abundantly. The New Living Translation says that I've come to give you a rich and satisfying life. That's John 10.10, a rich and satisfying life. And I'm thinking that that's what I want. I want a rich and satisfying life. I don't want a poor and, you know, disappointing life. <laughs> now, this, this, this whole thing was a disappointment. That's not what I want. I want abundant, satisfying life. So what's God's definition of life, long life, abundant life? Well, of course, first of all, it's having salvation. I mean, that's number one. Because if, if after all this I'm not going to heaven, I'm not that interested in anything else. Heaven's number one in my book. But you don't have to wait till you get to heaven to enjoy your life. Because again, I mean, I know some old religious people and they say dumb things like, well, brother. And as soon as you say something like that, I know you're getting ready to say something really dumb that I probably don't agree with. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I told you about my neighbor the other night. He's one of those. But praise God. Well, brother, you know it says that, but you can't really expect that. Oh, no, 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 no. And so, you know, you don't have to wait till you get to heaven to enjoy life. Well, I know healing will come in the sweet by and by. But we live in the nasty now and now. What? Shut up with that. Listen, Jesus, when he taught us how to pray, he said, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There's no depression in heaven. Nobody's depressed up there. There's no sickness and pain in heaven. There's peace. There's joy. There's healing. And Jesus said, that's what I'm praying for on earth as it is in heaven. And so, Jesus' definition of long life is for you to have the joy of the Lord. The peace that surpasses all understanding. To have a healthy home. To have a healthy marriage. To have a good relationship with your children. This is long and satisfying life. And so I want you to look at Proverbs chapter 3. We're in a lot of Proverbs tonight. Things that Solomon said. Proverbs chapter 3. Amen. We're talking about a, a satisfying, abundant life. You know, you look at the guys in the Old Testament. A lot of them, they showed us what a good example is of a long life. A lot of these guys... They'd live out their days and they'd call their family around their children and say, you know what? Hey, I'm going to be going home. It's been real. See you when you get up there. Peace. And then they just, they die and go to heaven. That's how you do it, man. I want to be 100, 110 years old or something and call the kids around and say, guys, it's been awesome. Fear God, obey his commands. I'm out. Deuces. <laughs> go to heaven. You know, I, there's the preacher just a couple years ago. Uh, man, I, uh, maybe, maybe Charles Caps. Yeah, Charles Caps. He got super old, and uh, and he would he hadn't been sick at all. He just he called all his kids in and said, "Hey, I think I've done everything I'm supposed to do. I've lived a long life, fulfilled God's call. Just want to let y'all know, I think I'm going to heaven soon. Love y'all." Then he died like a week later. I'm like, "Yeah, man, that's awesome. That's how you should do it. That's exactly how you should do it." But Proverbs chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, it says, My child, never forget the things I have taught you. Store 
my commands in your heart. Well, what's the commands of God? It's God's word. Store my word in your heart. If you do this, you will live many years and your life will be satisfying. There it is right there. I don't want to just live many years. I don't. I want to live many years and have my life be satisfying. Well, what's the key to this? Right here it says, to store my commands in your heart. To store the word of God in your heart. And I can tell you this much. Somebody that fears God, they will do this. Somebody that doesn't fear God and submit and reverence, they're not going to take time to store God's word in their heart. They've got an Xbox to play. Are you kidding me? There's the NFL, it's football season, man. I don't get time to memorize scripture. You're crazy. Now, that's the attitude of somebody that, you know, that does it. But if you're someone that you do fear the Lord, you do submit, you say, you know what? All that other stuff, it can just die for all I care. I, because I need to get God's word in my heart. And in fact, David said, Psalm 119, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. David said, I'm going to hide the word in my heart. Solomon said, I'm going to store the word in my heart. Either way, you're getting the word in your heart and you're storing it there. Well, well, how does that lengthen your life? You kidding me? When you're sick, you go to the word and get healed if it's stored in your heart. If the word is in your heart, you've automatically got the answer to every single situation and problem that comes your way. It's already in there. You can imagine that. Imagine... The next time something bad comes your way, you don't know what to do. What if you had the word stored in your heart? You'd automatically know what to do, wouldn't you? You wouldn't have to say, well, I wonder what I'm going to... You'd have wisdom. You'd automatically have the answer. Do you realize the advantage that you have to, at your disposal? Do you realize the advantage that you have compared to everybody else around? It's almost unfair. It's almost not even, it's almost not even fair. But listen to me. You have an advantage to you because you have the fear of the Lord. And so you have wisdom, you have knowledge, and you have understanding. And I want to show you one last thing tonight, and that's in Deuteronomy chapter 5. Deuteronomy chapter 5. And so, storing the word in your heart, it'll heal you when you're sick. It'll help you make right decisions that'll save your life. You'll be full of joy and peace. Storing the word in your heart. And I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I, how many of us really have some word stored in our heart? It's one thing that I've been, we got to start off memorizing it, but getting it from the head to the heart. How many of us just have the word just stirring on the inside of us on a daily basis? Those are the most powerful people in the world. Deuteronomy chapter 5, and we're going to look here at verse 33. Deuteronomy chapter 5 and verse 33. And another thing you need to realize is all these guys I'm reading about here, they're under the old covenant. You are under the new covenant. So you have an advantage even over them. Because Hebrews 8 tells us that you have a better covenant with better promises than these guys lived under. And so if they had a right to expect long life, you really do. If they expected wisdom and knowledge and understanding, you should really expect it. You're under a better covenant. So Deuteronomy chapter 5, and we're looking at verse 33, and this is Moses speaking to the people of Israel. He says this, Stay on the path that the Lord your God has commanded you to follow. Then 
you will live long and prosperous lives in the land you're about to enter and occupy. Notice it says you'll live long and prosperous lives. Long and prosperous lives. So all of these verses that I've shown you regarding long life, and believe me, there are many, many more. We decided to narrow it down here. But every single one of them also mentions something else about satisfying life, prosperous life, abundant life. None of them only say you'll have a whole lot, you'll be on the earth for a super long time. None of them just leave it at that. They say satisfying, rich, abundant, fulfilling life, prosperous life. That's the will of God for people that fear him, people that are submitted to him, people that would lay down their lives for the Lord. And, you know, I I should have brought this in, too, but I found some very interesting statistics a couple of years ago on a, 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 um, a, I think it was one of the universities in England. But they did a several decade long study because they wanted to see if there was any difference in the quality of life between people that attend church, people that don't attend church. And their results were absolutely astounding. And I, I should I should have looked these up, but really it was astounding. So they found out that people that never go to church compared to people that at least go to church occasionally, the people that occasionally go, their lifespan is like three or four years longer just right there. But then they started people that actually go once a week, and then it was another couple of years up. So they're like six years longer than people that never go. Then they finally, in the study, studied people like you, Yahoo's, that come several times a week. And their lifespan was like eight years longer. And you don't realize, like, when you're talking about statistics, an eight-year gap is a huge, huge gap. That's a massive, massive gap between people that never go to church and then people, and in fact, the benefits of being involved in a church are so incredible that people in this world are trying to emulate it. And, and by that I mean, I've seen over the last five years, and this is, this is stupid because it's not going to work for them, but a lot of atheists say, well, these church people, we don't agree with them, but they're happy all the time. They've got, they've got joy. Their families stay together. That must be because they all get together once a week. So there's a lot of atheist churches that have sprung up all across the, all across the world, really. But basically, they get together on a Sunday, and they try to inspire each other, but they just don't want God involved in it. So they have an atheist church, which in itself is an oxymoron. But what they're trying to do is get our benefits, because they're undeniable. We have great benefits without our God. And what they're finding is, wow, we're, we're still miserable. We're still not ha- we're still depressed. We're still not working. Why is that? Because our benefits aren't just because we get together. That's that is a great thing, and there is definite benefits to that. But it's because we get together for the purpose of worshiping God and hearing from His Word. And I guarantee you that lengthens one's life. According to Proverbs 10, it'll, it'll lengthen your life. It'll not only lengthen your life, it'll make your life prosperous and successful. And who could say that since you really gave your life to the Lord, things are a whole lot better than they used to be? I can tell you that right now. I can tell you that right now. And so these are some benefits to those that fear the Lord. Wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. And then the fear of the Lord will lengthen one's days. And so I'm going to leave that out there for you tonight. These are some things for you to be excited about if you're someone that fears God. 
And I'm telling you right now, we're going to look at some other things over the next couple of weeks. And it's going to be exciting to see the promises of God for your life. Amen. It'll change your life forever. Hallelujah. Let's go ahead and stand up together tonight. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more information, visit hdwc.org.